Pioneer Park and Bayfield Harbor. To begin this tour, make your way to Pioneer Park at 46 Bayfield Terrace. Welcome to Pioneer Park. The park is privately owned and maintained for the benefit of the public by the Pioneer Park Association. With its sublime vistas, the park is a favorite spot to watch sunsets over Lake Huron. Many marriage proposals have been made here, and many weddings have been held in the park. When there were summer fireworks in Bayfield, crowds gathered here to see the colorful fireworks explode across the sky and mirrored in the lake below. Bayfield resident Lucy Woods Deal led the work to establish Pioneer Park because she wanted people to have a place to gather and look out over the lake. Lucy was the Bayfield news correspondent for the Clinton newspaper for many years. She grew up on Bayfield Terrace in the property known as The Hut. She married Carl Deal and they continued to live in The Hut after her parents died. In 1945, Lucy asked some friends to help her preserve the last undeveloped lakefront property on the bluff overlooking the Bayfield River and Lake Huron. Eight of Lucy's friends, some permanent residents and some cottagers, joined her to purchase the land. Lucy decided the park should be owned and operated by an association, not by individuals. In 1949, the original quarter-acre plot of land was enlarged by gifts of parts of four lots by Philip Rhinus, in honor of his grandparents and his mother. The original directors of the association chose the name Pioneer Park as a tribute to the early settlers of Bayfield. Annually, since 1948, the association has run the popular Bayfield Rummage Sale to support upkeep of the park. For this next part, try walking down the wooden stairs to the beach to get a closer view of the lake, then come back to the park. If you'd rather relax, find a nice spot to view the lake and listen on. Henry Wolsey Bayfield was a naval officer and nautical surveyor. Born in England in 1795, Bayfield took to nautical life at a young age volunteering for the Royal Navy when he was 10 years old. He fought his first battle just six hours after leaving Portsmouth Harbor. In 1806, he suffered a head wound in a battle with two Spanish ships near Gibraltar. However, his superiors were impressed with his presence of mind and promoted him. His naval career took him to the Mediterranean, off the coasts of France, Holland, and Spain, and then to the West Indies, Quebec, Halifax, and Lake Champlain. Subsequently stationed at Kingston, naval headquarters for Upper Canada, Bayfield served on the Star, a sloop tasked with surveying Canadian lakes. Bayfield learned nautical surveying as he helped with the survey of Lake Ontario and the upper St. Lawrence River. He showed great talent and passion for the work and was soon placed in charge of the surveys. In 1818, with only two small boats at his disposal, Bayfield completed a survey of Lake Erie and started on Lake Huron. The survey of Lake Huron would prove to be a challenging four-year endeavor thanks to the many islands and bays in the lake itself and in Georgian Bay. A total of 20,000 islands were charted. Bayfield and his team made their base at Penetanguishene and would set out with provisions for surveying stints that lasted several weeks. They worked from dawn to dusk, except when hampered by strong winds or fog. The surveyors contended with ague and scurvy and in summertime were plagued by clouds of mosquitoes that darkened the air. Bayfield slept on a buffalo robe under the boat's mainsail in every kind of weather. 
He had excellent relations with the First Nations people and spoke several First Nations languages. The First Nations people referred to Bayfield as Big Chief. After completing Lake Huron, Bayfield and his crew tackled Lake Superior. In 1825, at his winter headquarters at Fort William, now part of Thunder Bay, Bayfield met John Franklin on the explorer's way to begin his second Arctic expedition. Later that year, Bayfield returned to England for two years to complete the charts for Lake Erie, Lake Huron, and Lake Superior. The newly formed Canada Company studied Bayfield's maps as a guide to settling the eastern shore of Lake Huron. Bayfield was promoted to commander and returned to Canada, focused on the St. Lawrence River and the Gulf of St. Lawrence. While doing this work, Bayfield encountered John James Audubon, who was studying and sketching waterfowl for his book, Birds of America. While in Quebec, Bayfield married Fanny Wright. The couple would go on to have four sons and two daughters. Bayfield returned to Lake Huron to survey property for settlement for Dutch Baron de Tile and selected two parcels of land along the lakeshore. The Baron honored Bayfield by naming a settlement after him, this village of Bayfield. The balance of Bayfield's career was spent doing nautical surveying throughout the maritime provinces. He died in 1885 in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island. He reached the rank of Admiral and to this day is remembered as a pioneer of nautical surveying in Canada. The Canadian Hydrographic Service traditionally names one of its surveying vessels in his honor. Bayfield's work has been commemorated by plaques in several communities and by the adoption of his name for a variety of geographical sites. He is the namesake of Bayfield, Wisconsin, Bayfield, New Brunswick, Bayfield, Nova Scotia, and of course, this beautiful town of Bayfield, Ontario. Make your way down to Bayfield Harbor. Head to the north end of the park. Head east, away from the lake, on Bayfield Terrace. At the corner of Bayfield Terrace and Main Street North, Take the Maris Street walkway down to the marina, harbor, and the Bayfield Pier. Have you reached the harbor? When you do, continue the tour. In November 1913, two huge storm fronts collided on the Great Lakes and caused the Great Storm, the worst natural disaster to ever strike this area. Hurricane force winds created blinding snow squalls and 35-foot waves. By the time the storm hit Lake Huron, it had already killed 53 sailors and sunk several vessels on Lake Superior and Michigan. However, it was on Lake Huron that the full fury of the storm would be felt. On November 9th, eight ships were lost with all hands. Nearly 200 lives were lost on Lake Huron alone, making it the deadliest day in Great Lakes history. The steamers James C. Carruthers, Hydrus, and Wexford were lost in this area. The fate of the Wexford was particularly tragic as Godrich was the home port for several of the crew. As the Wexford battled against massive waves and high winds to reach the refuge of Godrich Harbor, waves slowly dragged the vessel out into the lake. It is believed that waves overwhelmed the Wexford, breaking into the holds and flooding the engines. When the engines quit, the Wexford drifted helplessly at the mercy of the storm until it foundered. None of the Wexford's crew made it to the safety of the nearby shore. One resident of Godrich later testified that he heard the shriek of the Wexford steam whistle as it was pulled back into the white hurricane. The ship would not be seen again until it was found offshore a few kilometers south of Bayfield in the year 2000. 
On Tuesday, November 11th, after the storm had blown itself out, Robert Turnbull was surveying the damage along the shoreline of his lakefront property south of Bayfield when he saw the first dead drift ashore. In the coming days, 53 bodies washed up on the Canadian shore of Lake Huron. Most of the storm's dead never surfaced and are lost in the depths of Lake Huron. Several bodies were found with their pockets turned inside out, indicating that they had been looted. A constable accompanied most search parties to prevent such occurrences. Some bodies told tales of maritime chivalry. The body of Emma Walker, the Argus's cook, was found wearing the chief engineer's heavy cloak and the captain's life jacket. It is assumed that as the Argus was sinking, the captain gave Mrs. Walker his life belt and the chief engineer gave her his cloak in the hopes that the only woman aboard would be saved. The strangest tale was that of the body of the mysterious J.T. The initials J.T. were tattooed on the forearm of a corpse. The body was identified as the body of John Thompson of the Carruthers when he was brought to Brophy Funeral Home in Godrich. The distraught father traveled from Hamilton and positively identified his son's body. At great expense, Mr. Thompson bought a bronze casket and shipped the body home for burial. During the wake in the family parlor, as friends and loved ones grieved, John Thompson, alive and well, walked through the front door. Apparently, he had given up his berth on the Carruthers for another ship. When his shocked mother regained consciousness, she quipped, It's just like you to attend your own wake. Altogether, at least 250 sailors were lost in the great storm. Hundreds of widows and orphans were left without support in ports along the lake. The shipping companies paid out one and a half year salary to deceased sailors' families. The public in Ontario raised over $100,000 to help the families even more. For those fortunate enough to visit or live near Lake Huron's shores, the water is often calm and beautiful, but when the gales of November blow, the lake reveals its dark and deadly side. This pier has seen many ships leave and return to Bayfield Harbor. Perhaps none is as memorable as the Helen McLeod II, launched in the Bayfield River on October 12, 1926. She was destined to be the last sailing vessel built for the commercial fisheries on the lakes. Yet, it was her master and builder, Captain Lewis Louis McLeod, that would make the Helen McLeod II a legend of the Great Lakes. The ship replaced the first Helen McLeod launched in 1887. The original ship was one of several boats built for the Bayfield fishing fleet by Captain Hugh McLeod. McLeod was descended from a long line of seafarers who traced their ancestry through the Scottish Isles to the Norsemen. A devout Scots Presbyterian, Captain McLeod and his wife Anne raised five sons, one of whom was killed in the Great War, and four daughters. His sons all grew up on Lake Huron's waters. They learned from their father fishing, seamanship, and boat building. The McLeod built fishing boats bore names like the King William and the Scarlet Flag, pointing to their Protestant Celtic roots. One of Captain Hugh's sons was Louis Louis McLeod, born in January 1888. Having grown up on Lake Huron, Louis McLeod was used to the sailors' hardships of wind and weather. He rose early to set sail for the reef 20 miles offshore, let out and hauled in nets with the day's catch, then returned home after dark. The fish were filleted, salted, and stored in barrels for market. 
Nets had to be mended and reset before the day was ended. It was known as a life of wooden ships and iron men. By 1926, the old Helen McLeod had weathered many a gale and was showing signs of age and wear. She had worn out five sets of sails and three gasoline engines. Jack and Louis McLeod began building the Helen McLeod too. They used one of the patterns of famed Godric shipbuilder Henry Marlton, creating a Mackinac-type fishing schooner with a square-cut stern. The square-cut stern accommodated the wider gill nets used by lake fishermen. At her launch on October 12th, she was described as a trim and neat vessel that measured 36 feet long and 10 feet abeam. With two masts and an enclosed cabin, the ship was a home compared to the original open-topped Helen McLeod. She also had a modern gasoline engine and net lifting machinery. She could carry five tons of fish in her hold. Bidectin flags, purple heather, and the McLeod clan's tartan colors, the Helen McLeod II was christened before a large crowd. For the next 20 years, Captain Louis McLeod fished Lake Huron's waters aboard the Helen McLeod II. The ship's usual fish run was to Kettle Point or to what local fishermen called the Reef, about 20 miles off Bayfield's shores. Despite having an engine at his disposal, Captain Louis never relied on it if he could use the wind. He sailed for the sheer joy of it. McLeod was one of the last true sailors. Aside from three years of military service during the Great War, he had spent his entire life on the lake. All three of his sons served in the Royal Canadian Navy during the Second World War. When his sons enthusiastically told their father what they had learned in the Navy, Captain Louis calmly answered, Yes, if you had listened to me, I could have taught you all that. The Helen McLeod II's square sails and well-balanced canvas made her an excellent heavy-weather boat. It was said that because he understood the lake, McLeod was never afraid, and so if a vessel was ever in distress, he went to the rescue. The year 1932 was a bad one for storms. The Helen McLeod II rescued four Americans in a large canoe off Kettle Point. In November, Louis went to the rescue of his nephew in the Donald Mack during a ferocious gale. High winds and heavy seas snapped the tow cable six times. After 12 hours battling the elements, the Helen McLeod II brought the Donald Max crew to the safety of the Bayfield Harbor. That same year, the Helen McLeod II saved the crew of an American yacht that drifted helplessly off Drysdale and could not raise its sails in a storm. One of the rescued seamen asked Captain McLeod, If the wind was too high for us to hoist our sails, how could you use yours? McLeod answered, You don't know how to sail. In April 1945, Captain McLeod suffered a stroke which ended his commercial fishing days. Unfortunately, the Helen McLeod II suffered from neglect because of her master's ill health. The ship was sold in 1950 to an American, Charles Miller, who turned her over to the Detroit Historical Commission. Much to the outrage of the town of Bayfield and the McLeod clan, she was renamed the Anna S. Piggott in memory of the wife of Grant Piggott who was instrumental in the Helen McLeod II's restoration. Captain Louis McLeod died on August 13, 1960, and was buried in the Bayfield Cemetery. The rebuilt Piggott was displayed at the Museum of Great Lakes History on Belle Isle. It then became a U.S. Sea Scout training vessel before it was sold into private hands. After having passed through several owners, 
The Helen McLeod reclaimed her former name and was returned home to Bayfield in 1996. This concludes the tour. For more Bayfield history, listen to the Main Street and Clan Gregor Square audio tours.